Hello, welcome to the Lone Show. I'm your host, John Lone, and in this episode, I brought in regular Risk Eleven. And as for our guest, he's from Fort Myers, Florida. He's the number one best-selling author, life coach, and counselor. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you David Essel. Peter, thank you so much. Excited to be with you today. As so am I. So, how's life? Well, we're doing great. Even in the middle of this pandemic, we're moving forward, achieving goals. And that's what we do in life, Peter. We look at opportunities, even in the middle of challenges, which this world is facing. And from my perspective, you know, as a a counselor for 42 years and an author, our number one goal right now is to help this world with mental health, because we really believe that's the number one challenge we have outside of the pandemic itself, Peter, is taking care of our mental health. Oh, great. Hey, Risk, you made it just in time. Great. (laughs) Hey, Risk 11, it's David. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. So, David, what was life for you when you were younger? Oh, I was a challenge, Peter. Oh, my gosh. You know, my, uh, my mom and dad passed. My mom passed a year ago. My dad passed about a month and a half ago. Uh, You know, a difficult, difficult time, obviously for me. But you know, as a kid, I, w- I was I was a lot of trouble. Uh, I began my addictions at the age of twelve. Uh, it was a, a challenge for my whole family. Uh, I was blessed to have a family that stayed behind me uh, and backed me even through all my challenges. And 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 you know, so part of my childhood was was very difficult, but. The other side of it was amazing. You know, I, I was an athlete. I had the opportunity to play basketball at Syracuse University for several years, um, came out of my addictions and into the world of recovery. And everything that we do is about helping people to heal. So, you know, I, I started off pretty rough in life. And the end result, though, I feel extremely blessed every day to do the work I do. Right. Fabulous. Yeah. And what inspired you to be uh, an inspirational life coach to those around you? You, you know, it, it, it's a great question. I think all of us are, are born with specific talents. And, you know, I, I think of um, athletes that are just superstars from around the world. And of course, they have to work their butts off. But, you know, they have a certain gift that may be a genetic gift that other people don't have. Um, I really believe, and, and this is not to sound arrogant, but just the reality is that I was here to lead. You know, everything I've done in life has been that of a leader. And I've made a ton of mistakes, but I've had great mentors, great teachers. And so my whole purpose here is to lead people just like during the pandemic. You know, we've created programs uh, helping people heal. We have a massive program that's absolutely free. People can join an online healing program uh, helping people heal. And then we came out with a mental health and master life coach certification. We believe that in the state of this world, we need more people who are skilled to help with others in mental health. And, you know, I I have this great opportunity, Peter and Risk 11, to take these programs that we've created to train other people to become mental health and master life coaches so we can make a difference. So once again, you know, it's let's get out on the front lines. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Let's make a difference. And it's, you know, the gift that I was given. And even with all my screw ups, guys, even with all my mistakes in life, the end result is doing what I'm doing. And I feel just so grateful waking up every day, having the opportunity to help people heal. Great. 
Fabulous. Mm. Where do you do? Where do you spend most of your free time? Free time? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, when when I have free time every weekend, this is going to sound crazy, but the way that I reduce stress and 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 uh, and have a somewhat balanced life is I love landscaping. As strange as that sounds. Um, I love getting out and planting and rearranging uh, the, all the plants in our yard. You know, I live in the state of Florida, so we do it 365 days. And, you know, so that's one of the ways in my free time. I love tennis every Saturday. Uh, I play with a pro. Uh, I'm not a pro myself, but I love the game. And then I played basketball in college. So uh, oftentimes, a couple times a month, I'll just go out and shoot. Uh, hoops. And, and so that's basically how I try to balance my life. It's not always easy because we're really busy and I love to be a creator. I just love to create books and courses. So, but when I do have free time, which is every Sunday for sure, um, I, I find ways to relax and to be in nature. Okay, great. Fabulous. Love it. Do you travel often? You know, before the pandemic, I traveled a ton. But since it, you know, you know, the world has changed so dramatically, Peter, as you know. And so where we used to be traveling to speak, oftentimes now we're doing Zoom uh, lectures. So my traveling has been cut down probably by 95 percent. But the work that we do online has probably increased 95 percent. Now, I will tell you, I miss the opportunity to be in front of live audiences. And of course, the world is going to slowly open up at some time. And once that happens, I'm going to be so excited because there's, you know, in the world of public speaking, there's nothing better than to be in front of an audience, inspiring people to reach their highest level of competence and success. Great. And what were the high points and low points throughout your entire life? Well, I'd say probably if you want to call it a low point, it was going into a treatment center for my addiction to alcohol and cocaine. Uh, that's probably the lowest point. But it's funny because out of that, I learned so much more than I ever knew about the world of addiction recovery. So it turned into a positive. You know, it, it, it's kind of strange how if we look at life with a certain perspective, we can say, well, you know, for 30 years as an alcoholic and an addict, I struggled. I, I made a lot of money, but money isn't the answer. I found that out. I struggled in relationships and in my intimate relationships. And then at the end of the struggle, when I came out of the treatment center, so what sounded bad, you know, David Essel, the counselor and author and all this minister and pastor of a church going into the treatment center for addiction, what came out was this amazing blessing, guys where I was actually learning so much more about the world of addiction and recovery than I could have known if I didn't go into the treatment center. So I look at that as a blessing, as bizarre as that is. So my low point actually became one of my high points. Okay. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Uh, Risk, do you, want to, do you want to say something to David? Yeah, sure. Uh, so like, what, what's your favorite part? I'm not sure we talked about this or before yet, but what's your favorite part about going to like doing conferences and that and like doing like speaking engagements that just being able to like connect to people, like learn about their stories or like what they went through or. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. Risk 11. Um, a, a lot of my lectures when I'm on the road speaking, um, I'd say about 25% is about my life. I, I don't really get into a lot of detail unless people are asking me questions, but 
what inspires me is to be in front of a group of people and sharing stories like, you know, I've worked with so many amazing individuals, the late Wayne Dyer. He and I did a lot of work together. Uh, other people like Susie Orman, the financial guru and Deepak Chopra. There's a lot of names. Uh, Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup for the Soul. So, you know, one of the things I love, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a singer. Uh, his name is Meatloaf. But, you know, th there's all these people I interviewed and learned so much about that one of the things I love doing is going on the road, talking about the keys to success, goal achievement, finding our purpose in life, and then sharing stories from these people that I've interviewed and worked with that are just mind-blowing stories. So it's exciting, Risk 11, to be up there and to be telling these stories about people and have the audience lighting up. And I can see in their eyes where they're thinking, God, if, if you know, Wayne Dyer overcame this and if Susie Orman overcame this, I wonder if I can do the same. And that, to me, is the purpose of my work, giving hope letting people know through stories that we don't have to stay stuck, whether it's a, a financial challenge that we've been in for years or a relationship challenge or a physical challenge or an addiction challenge, maybe even a spiritual challenge. I'd love to be on stage and see people's eyes light up and go, wow, that story of success that he just told about Susie Orman or Wayne Dyer or one of these other people, I can do that too. And that to me keeps me going every day, 24 seven. <laughs> Great. Any other questions you've got to ask him, Jamie? Yeah. Have there been any interesting people that you've met? Yeah. I, you know, I, I mentioned a couple. Um, one of the most amazing stories that I ever received was from the singer Meatloaf. And are you guys familiar with him? Yeah. I know a little bit about him and that. Like, didn't he die this year or something like that? Yes. Yeah, he just yes, passed, yes, away. passed away recently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had him on my show and uh, and we, we only had him for a short period of time. It's kind of a funny story. I was working with a, a syndicator, a national syndicator in the U.S. called Westwood One. And we were in about 300 cities every weekend. And um, Meatloaf was in the studios because it was a, a big building and there was all kinds of studios. And he had just done an interview for a concert he was going to give the next night with a guy that hosted a, a show on, on music. And he was walking down the hallway and in the hallway, our, our show was piped into the into the hall. So he heard this guy talking about motivation and positivity. And he stood outside the window looking in and shaking his head, agreeing with everything I was saying. So my producer went out and said, hey, you know, David would love to interview you. He loves your music. And so, you know, Meatloaf came in and said, OK, but just let him know I only have eight minutes and then I've got to get back to the hotel to get ready for the concert. So he sits down and I knew I only had eight minutes. And so I said, hey, Meatloaf, I said, um, what's the most inspiring story that you've ever experienced being on the road for all these years? And he told me this story, guys, that is so powerful. He was in Toronto, Canada, and this is back uh, before the age of CDs and everything. And he was in a, a music store, a record store, signing albums. And the line to get his autograph went around and around the building. And his manager kept coming up to him and said, hey, we're only scheduled to be here for two hours. It's already two and a half hours. And Meatloaf said, no, I'm not leaving until every person gets an autograph. So the manager was getting frustrated, but Meatloaf was standing strong. A couple hours later, he sees the end of the line. And as the end of the line comes up to him, he notices a guy holding a woman, his girlfriend or wife, to his chest. And he noticed that the woman was crying hysterically. 
And so he looks at them as the line gets shorter and they're coming closer. And he says to himself, this is the reason I stayed. He says to himself, you know, normally I listen to my manager and I leave when I'm supposed to, but I knew there was a reason for me to stay. And this is the reason. So when the couple came up, the gentleman said, you know, we can't believe you're staying here this long. We know we're the last people in line and we have so much gratitude. My girlfriend's not going to be able to speak to you today, but I would like to share a story. Just a couple of weeks ago, down the street from where we are right now, she told me that she wanted to go away to a hotel for a Saturday night just to be by herself and to have a little personal time. And I told her that was fine. So she went to the hotel, put her purse on the bed, went over to the window blinds and closed them, turned the radio up in the room as loud as she could, opened her purse and took a pistol out. As she took the gun and brought it up to the side of her head, Meatloaf's song, Heaven Can Wait, came blasting through the radio. And the song is all about faith and not rushing through life. She listens to the song. She starts crying hysterically and calls for help. And as the guy is telling Meatloaf the story, he says, I don't know how many people have told you that you've saved their lives, but you saved the life of my girlfriend just two weeks ago. And we had to see you. We had to tell you the story. Your purpose on earth is well put. And without you, she would be gone. And guys, when I've been blessed to have these type of people share their most intimate stories, it's something that's incomparable. I have shared the story of Meatloaf with you with thousands of people. And every time I share it, I share it for one reason, hope. In the time of the pandemic, there's been more suicides than ever. In the United States alone, it's about 160 people a day commit suicide. In the United States alone, 25 veterans of war commit suicide every day. I am so glad you asked this question because there's not a better time to talk about this than right now. There is hope. Whatever our listeners are going through, whatever the struggles are, there is hope. Absolutely. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. What would you change about your life? Wow. That's a great question. <laughs> that is a great freaking question. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what it would be. And, you know, the first thing someone would probably say would be, you know, well, they would get sober sooner. But that's not for me because I've learned that all those years as an addict and the treatment center gave me the greatest blessing in the world because there's not an addiction in the world that I haven't helped people heal from. But I'll tell you what I would change. In therapy, as a therapist, there's something we teach called emotional regulation. It's a fancy term for saying that when, when we're in a tough emotional state, that we're able to pull ourselves out of it before we say something we wish we didn't say or do something we wish we wouldn't do. Emotional regulation is the key to success during challenges and everything else. So if I could change one thing in my life, and this is going to sound a little strange, it would be to learn what I've taught everyone else for 42 years sooner for myself. I was great for all of these years at teaching other people how to regulate their emotional response to stressors and challenges in life. 
And I would say it probably took me up to the last 10 or 15 years to really learn how to do it for myself. So if there's anything that I could change, it would be to take some of these teachings that I so believe in and apply them more deeply to my own life earlier than I have. Okay. How long yeah. have you been how long have you been doing speaking for? Has it uh, been 40, since like 42 years? Yeah, I started uh, uh-huh. about I think it was 1979 or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Long so time. how has it changed over the over the decades in that? Has it still remained the same like formula or is it or have you had to adapt like oh, the growing over in the early 2000s to, to yeah, now? Great, great question. It's changed dramatically. And I'll tell you who changed the whole world of speaking is uh, uh, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, the authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, when their book, their first book came out, it radically changed the world of personal growth because their books were the first ones that were based purely on only stories. You know, and they brought stories to life. And so as a motivational speaker, you know, up until 1990, we would do things like, you know, the seven key steps to losing weight or the seven key steps to earning more money or the 10 steps to save your relationship, which is all great stuff. But a lot of it was very clinical. And in 1990, it changed. And, you know, it's one of the things that really helped my speaking career Um, I can speak, you know, statistics and all that as well as anyone. But when it comes to storytelling, what we've found in the world of of therapy is storytelling, talking about other people that have overcome the challenges that you're sitting there listening to the speaker talk about is probably one of the greatest changes in the world of, of motivational speaking that we could ever imagine. And through the change of going from, you know, sterile statistics studies and all that kind of stuff to the statistics, because they're still important. But then the stories of real life people that have overcome those challenges, that's been the biggest change in the world of motivational speaking, probably in the last 50 years. Wow. Great. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you, you know, look at any of the other motivational speakers out there, you know, whether it's some of the people that I mentioned, uh, the Deepaks of the world or the Wayne Dyers or the Tony Robbins or all these people, you know, everyone turned to storytelling and and, and it's and it's perfect uh, because when you're talking about real people, those individuals in the audience can relate. If you're only talking about celebrities and success stories, you know, a lot of people can't relate to that. But when you're talking about like if I talk about a client that overcame a 40 year addiction to heroin or I talk about a client that, you know, saved a relationship after outrageous trouble or I talk about clients that lost six businesses and then finally came back and made it big. Um, these, this is what people need. You know, they need not only the steps on how to do it, but they need the, the inspiration that others before them have done it and they can too. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of music do you often listen to? Oh my gosh. Great question. (laughs) You you know, it's, it's so funny. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a split personality when it comes to music. Um, I either like something really rocking like ZZ top or uh, some really heavy guitar work. I'm a fanatical guitar fan, Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan, just love guitar. And then on the flip side, I love, um, I guess you would call inspirational or we might even say spiritual music, you know, it might be native American music, or it could be 
um, uh, Hindu-based music or, you know, Sufi-based music. I, I'm very deep in the world of spirituality. So I bounce back and forth from, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton to something mystical and spiritual. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting choices. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What's the best way to start your morning? Oh, this is a great question. Listen, I've <laughs> never been a morning person. Never, ever, ever was I a morning person. The pandemic opened up this doorway, guys, where I get up between five and six every morning. And the first two hours are spent in my courtyard uh, through with meditation and a bunch of different uh, spiritual techniques. I, I do a chanting work, meditation work, gratitude work. And, and I really think and I am I'm so glad you asked this question. We ask the world and all my clients that the first hour of every day is electronic free. No phones, no tablets, no TV, no radio, nothing for the first 60 minutes. We really believe that this is the mental health hour. Whether you go into deep spiritual practices or you just sit in nature or you read a great book, doesn't even have to be anything about personal growth. But we really think how you start your day is so incredibly meaningful. And unfortunately, the way a lot of people start their day is they get up and immediately look at their phone. So, you know, there's a lot of nonsense on the internet. And so if you're going to start your day reading nonsense, your day could end up being nonsensical for lack of a better word. So we encourage people. Now I spend two hours. You don't have to do that. Even getting up the first 30 minutes with no electronics, sitting in nature or praying or meditating or reading a novel. We believe that's the key to start to enhance who we are, our motivation, as well as our mental health. Right. Right. Great, great answer. Great Thank answer. you. Welcome. Where do you see yourself 20 years from now? Doing exactly what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Without a doubt, guys, I'm never retiring. You know, I'm 66. Uh, I've got a good 20, 25 years or so to still do this work. Uh, it, it's the reason I'm on earth. There's no other reason for me to be here, really, other than this work. Um, I love it with all my heart. So 20 years from now, uh, if you guys are doing podcasts, I'll be right with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's strange because some people never find what their true calling is. Yes. Sadly. <laughs> and, and thank you for saying that, you know, and it is sad. And the reason it's sad is because we all have a calling. And yet, you know, a lot of us get comfortable being lazy. A lot of it is to get, get comfortable underachieving. A lot of us get comfortable not tapping into our creative gifts and, and our creative personalities. And we think that this is all life is about. But, you know, I honestly do not believe in retirement. I don't think anyone should retire. I, I really think that people have wisdom in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, and we, we, be, we stay a vital part of society if we're still active. Now, that doesn't mean that people have to work 40, week, 40 hours a week in their 80s or 90s. But I do believe we should have a purpose. And in my opinion, the purpose should be serving others. So we can serve others by volunteering at a pet center, a center, or there's a million different ways if you just want to volunteer as you age. But I don't think anyone should completely retire and sit around, you know, playing cards all day. Come on, use your gifts, use your talents, help this world. Yeah. A lot of people, when they retire, they kind of lose like their sense of their like sense of purpose. Yes. Like maybe they've been doing something for so long, they 
lose their they really age you can tell like they in two years or three years they age a lot the age looks like it's getting to them oh absolutely you know you'll see a lot of retirees become alcoholics uh, you'll see a lot of retirees, um, you know, wasting time on on, uh, you know, even so social media and all this other type of things. Uh, and, and they do. They, they lose their sense of self. But it's not necessary. You know, there's so much that we can still do. It doesn't. Again, I want to go back and make this point strong. It doesn't mean you have to work 40 hours a week. But giving back, being a vital part of your community will add life to your years. Yeah, I agree. I also agree. Any more questions, Jamie? Where was the nicest place you've been to? The nicest place I've been to? Uh, that's a good question. Oh, I know exactly. Um, the island of, of Kauai in Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's where a uh, part of, um, uh, what was that, uh, that movie, the, the di- uh, Jurassic Park, the, the dinosaur movie. There's there's these hidden jungle areas that we reached via helicopter in uh, the island of Kauai in Hawaii that was unbelievable. Waterfalls for miles, jungles thicker than you could believe. By far the most beautiful place I've ever seen. Wow. Uh, so you were saying something about Jurassic Park. So was that movie filmed there? Parts of that movie filmed there? Yeah. Yeah, right where we're that, you know, the, the helicopter pilot took us where, you know, the filming was done. And you can't, you couldn't imagine. I mean, it was a couple of years later, but they had cleared out part of the jungle to, to film in there. And it had all grown back and just incredibly intense of nature, which we love. Wow. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which pizza topping do you most relate to? I'm sorry. What was that again? Which pizza topping do you most relate to? What type of topic? Top- topping. 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 So, like, what do you like in your pizza? It could be like anchovies. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm a I'm a vegetable guy, you know. So, as many onions, peppers, tomatoes, mushrooms, fill it up, and I will eat it all. <laughs> okay, great, love it. Yeah. If if you had to choose between skydiving, bungee jumping, and scuba diving. Which one would you choose? Wow. Great question. You know, the one that scares me the most is skydiving. So I'll say skydiving because when you do that, what scares you the most, you grow immensely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. It's a shame that a lot of people don't like to take risks and like, but are like too scared to, it could be something simple, like just jumping off a pool like that. Well, yeah, and you know, you're right because, we, you know, there's so many people that come, you know, into working with me and, you know, they'll say, God, you know, I, I, I think right now we've written 12 books. We have two more coming out this year. And people say, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. And I'll say, great. You know, we teach people how to write books. Let's get to work. Nah, it'll never be successful. And I don't have the time. But is it something you'd love to do? Oh, my gosh, I'd love to do it. But, you know, you got to invest money and I may not have enough so, you know, these are the things that we need to go after. Like They just price themselves out of anything. Totally. Now, listen, <laughs> we, we, wrote, we wrote 20 books before. I'm sorry. I wrote for 20 years. And I think it was nine books before we got or eight books before we got a number one bestseller. So I wrote for 20 years before we got any recognition. Now, I never stopped writing because I love to write. I love to educate and inspire. 
But, you know, a lot of people, if they write one book and it doesn't sell, they'll stop. And what we say to people is, no, no, no. You know, um, Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken, he, he never made much money until he was 68. At 68, after putting 40 something years into his business, he finally made a million dollars. And then at 88, he became a billionaire. So, you know, a lot of times it takes years. It took me 20 years of writing books to get a number one bestseller. So if you have a goal and you're part of the program right now, do not let your lack of success decrease your motivation to write a book, lose weight, find love, whatever the goal is, go for it. So what's your process with creating a book in that? Like I know like certain offers have a certain process. Maybe it's like a certain ritual or. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I write really differently. Um, and the court, when we teach people how to write, we make it very simple. The most important part of writing a book is to have an extremely detailed outline. Um, I tell, you know, the, the number one mistake potential authors make is they go, oh, I've got this great idea. And they start writing a book. But because they don't have an outline of what they're going to do, A, B, C, D, E, when they get to chapter three, they lose momentum. So the way we teach people to write a book is that we get them highly focused on breaking down an outline so it's so detailed that when they go to write, they just go, oh, okay, I'm on chapter two. I just wrote points one, two, three, four. Let's go to five through 10, and then I'll go on to chapter three. So writing a book, you should never have writer's block if you have a great outline. That's number one. And the second thing we say is that you don't have to type to write a book. Like my last five books, I voice into my iPhone email. I do a pre-edit and then I send it to the editor via an email. And the last, I think it's four books I've written. I wrote them all in two days because I spent two or three months creating a detailed outline. And then once I started speaking the book into the phone, it doesn't take me more than two days to write a complete book from scratch to finish. That's interesting because I was trying that a couple of days, I think yesterday in that, <laughs> like like speaking into a phone and using an app and literally just having the thing and then editing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, I mean, it's easier. Oh, it's a lot easier. Right. And because I am a, a conversational writer, I'm not a technical writer. I'm a conversational writer that's writing about emotion. You know, all my books are emotionally based. So when I speak into the phone and, and you know, we've heard this for the past 25 years as a writer, um, people say, you know, when I read your books, it's like you're speaking to me. <laughs> and it is because I spoke <laughs> the whole book. <laughs> Any more questions, Jamie? Or is one more, one more. Okay. Which, re which recent news story have you found most interesting? Which recent news story? Yes. You know, guys, I don't ever pay attention to the news. Um, when COVID hit, I shut the news down. And, and so for the past couple of years, I don't follow the news. Um, I choose not to, uh, you know, I, 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 for me personally, I don't feel there's a need in it because the news is always based on sensationalism and you can read one article from the right, which is totally in opposition from an article on the left. And you're stuck in the middle going, who the hell's telling the truth? I believe my intuition tells me exactly what I need to pay attention to. I find no benefit in the news at all. 
Um, now, a lot of people can disagree with me, guys, and it's totally fine. I kind of do agree with you on certain aspects of that because, like, some of the like, if you read an article about stock and that, you can hear like the Metro or the Sun or the Washington Post, like, just freaking like shit posting it, basically. Yep. Like spreading fear. Yep. But they do it because it uh, they do that they spread fear because it's the way they it's how they pay their bills. Absolutely. More, if it bleeds, it leads. The eyeballs. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have been encouraging our clients for two years and some will go along with it, but many are addicted. You know, I mean, it's so funny. I work in the world of addiction and in the last couple of years, two of the biggest addictions that have come to the forefront is addiction to social media arguing and addiction to the news. And we have people which, excuse my French, shit attitudes because all they're doing is following every news lead, every conspiracy theory, every bunch of nonsense out there. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people making a lot of money with conspiracy theories and a lot of money with their news, yep. all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we just stay away from it. And because we stay away from it, we don't get into arguments because we could care less, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's all we have for this episode. It was great having you here, David. Telling you about the story Most definitely. Your- oh, yeah. hey, listen, guys, this has been great being with you and we can ever help again please reach out to tj my publicist and we will rock and roll okay no problem and until next time stay tuned for more